Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the podcast, where I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. All right, guys, so let's get into it today. All right, so we have a special guest for you on our show today as we head into August. Yes, I hope you all are enjoying your summer. I know I am and having a great time on my holiday. Yes, but I was able to actually schedule a lot of these podcasts in advance so you wouldn't miss out. I had such a pleasure meeting with Mary Gladstone Highland. She is a really amazing, she's such an amazing woman. And you guys are totally going to agree with me after you listen to today's episode because she is just so knowledgeable and I love just the way she talks about things and her heart, right? So I know that sounds a little cheesy, but it's really true. I mean, the way she processes information and then shares with you and she really gives some great tips on how you can share stories of impact about your clients that still honor their dignity. Now you might think, of course, Holly, that's, of course we would do that. Why would, how would we, no, we would never dishonor our clients. But let me tell you, I've seen it done more times than not. And why I'm saying this is because I often see very emotional grants, right? I see, or for crowdfunding campaigns or fundraisers, there's these videos that's just sorrow and dread and Oh, and really all the nonprofit is doing is showing the severe gap. They're really not showing solutions or what happened to those clients afterwards and the, the, you know, the hope that's involved in that. And that's what really people want to give to when they're just seeing these disempowering stories and this, you know, this dread, they really kind of just scroll past it. There's enough out there in the world to make people depressed as it is. So, but when they see stories of hope and solutions and just all of the positivity, that's what catches their eyes, right? And the other thing is, are your clients, you know, actually looking over these stories before you publish them? Are you just trying to use kind of like this clickbait, if you will, for your your streams? And then all of a sudden they might be on social media too and see that they're being um, portrayed in this negative way. So... We're really going to talk about the root of all of that and also some tangible skills that you can take away with from this podcast today so you can really honor the dignity of your clients. So Mary is fantastic, as I mentioned. She founded Spark Group Consulting, which helps nonprofit leaders develop the strategies and fundraising they need to achieve their mission. She's also a certified nonprofit professional with 17 years of experience leading organizations. So for all of the show notes today, as well as an opportunity to have a downloadable for client stories to help you through that, go ahead and visit grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 230. You're going to see the link um, in the links mentioned in the podcast there so you can grab that downloadable. So once again, jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 230. And a quick word from our sponsor, Grant Writing and Funding. Please do go to grantwritingandfunding.com and make sure that you join our free Grant Writing Hub Haven. You're going to love it. We have a ton of resources for you. All you have to do is give us your email address and we will send you a bunch of, to a hub where it actually has a bunch of free resources for grant writing, for becoming a freelance grant writer, for getting your nonprofit grant ready, and so, so much more. 
We also have our nonprofit consulting conference coming up at the end of August 25th and 26th. So if you are thinking about going into grant writing as a job or as a side hustle, you are definitely going to want to check out that conference. So we'll have more information on grantwritingandfunding.com. You'll actually just see it in the menu, nonprofit consulting conference. You can click on that. All right, guys. So let's get into it with Mary today. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're actually going to delve into how to tell, you know, the story and the narrative of maybe the needs of your nonprofit, but having dignity about your clients instead of just like, this is awful, you know what I mean? And then kind of putting your clients on the spot as far as being part of that awful. So I really like that you're going to reshape that narrative today. But before we get into that, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here and happy to be a part of something that I've been listening to for a while. So a big fan of the show. Happy to be here. Awesome. We always love to hear that too. So thank you so much. Yeah. So, you know, it's great too, because um, just before we get into it as well, like, you know, you reached out to me on LinkedIn and that was through Dr. Bev, like an affiliate or an associate of mine and yours. So really, really cool to also just kind of connect organically through social media. Like that's always a lot of fun. So thank you for reaching out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm finding that the the world of people like you and I who are in the grant writing field and who are authors, I mean, it's just so collaborative, right? So it's been it's been a joy to be in acquaintance with Bev. And I was thrilled to that when I reached out to you, it seemed like a great collaboration as well. So thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun to meet friends of Dr. Bev. Like she's been on the show tons. We have a course we created together. Like we we love to like you know, introduce each other to our, our best friends. So <laughs> it's awesome. I bet you're one of the best. <laughs> so, yeah. so, and just a little bit about your history, you founded Spark Group Consulting and that really helps nonprofit leaders. So nonprofit leaders tune in today because it's going to be a lot about how you can tell the story, but also grant writers. I found this really interesting on what you're going to talk about today because Um, As I was mentioning in the green room, it's really, you know, I I see a lot in grants, they're just trying to use a lot of flowery language and the needs and 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 Sarah McLaughlin's playing in the background and all the things, right? And it's kind of like, oh, that's not technical writing. Oh, reviewers are going to just kind of bypass all that, right? Because they have to score according to a criteria, emotional kind of, you know, I don't know, digging up emotions isn't a part of criteria, unfortunately, but it, that's what it is. So, um, but there's also some other things that are layered in that, that you're going to discuss. So definitely you guys tune in consultants too. This is what you guys need to hear this today. Um, this is going to be really solid gold. So I'm excited. Um, so before we get there though, can you just tell us a little bit about your company and, and why you started it and kind of the when in your journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I first want to say that I think it's funny that you mentioned the Sarah McLachlan videos because I'll love to Sarah McLachlan. She's an awesome artist. But anytime that commercial comes on, I turn it off because I can't handle it. Right. And so we want to think about how we're telling stories that don't turn people off. Um, so I am Mary Gladstone Highland, as was you know mentioned. Thank you. And I spent my career in nonprofit administration, helping grassroots organizations. Mostly I, I left college and joined uh, nonprofits that were mostly serving people who were living in poverty, people with disabilities, um, and fell in love with the work. But one of the um, more formative experiences that happened to me early in my career as I was new, I was ready to save the world and roll up my sleeves and, and get to work. 
And I was um, working in a community with deaf individuals. I spent a lot of my career working with individuals who are deaf. And I said, I'm so excited to work, you know, here in this community. And I had been there about a year at this point, there was a transition period happening in my career. And so I was being interviewed and um, the, the interview committee said, you're excited to work here? And I said, yeah, I'm thrilled to work here. I love the community and this is great. And they said, that's interesting because you know we don't see you hanging out with us, right? Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh. It was, like, it was such a formative experience to me for a number of reasons. One, because it was a wake up call and I loved that, I mean, didn't love it in the moment, but I loved the learning that I got from it. But also it expressed to me how much our clients want a relationship with the people that they have to negotiate with from organizations on a day-to-day -day basis, you know? And especially if we as nonprofit leaders are gonna be in organizations to help other people, then we have to build those relationships, right? So I spent a lot of my years, early years in my career uh, as a nonprofit administrator, as a development director, as executive director and the like, um, that was the first 14 years. I did hospital administration for a while. And then ultimately I realized that I am a big picture person. I'm a, a, a thinker. I like options and I like um, diagnosing problems. And so I realized that that was probably best suited as a consultant <laughs> where I get to spend the majority of my time you know, living in the big picture with nonprofit leaders, diagnosing, like taking these complex issues and making them um, real and manageable and, and creating goals to work through tough uh, problems and change. And so that's where I, I launched Spark Group to be um, using my assets the best I could, uh, but also to help organizations be really healthy and sustainable. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's just... I, I love that wake up call too that you had, you know, as far as like, well, hey, are you hanging out? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, are you in it? So you're like, oh, maybe not, right? So <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of disconnect because I've worked in nonprofits for a ton of years as well, right? And seeing like client and admin relationships sometimes don't overlap, right? So there's a disconnect. And I mean, I've seen entire nonprofits move into communities and be like, this is what we're going to do for you. And without even consulting the community, <laughs> it's like, no, that doesn't really fit our needs, actually. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So there's, this is huge, right? And, and some of it's like these Western ideologies too, especially if you're moving into other countries and you're, or just certain areas that are indigenous, maybe on um, Native American, you know, places and, and it's it, it which is everywhere you know what I mean not right. but you know what I mean and and then coming in and saying these are our Western ideals and this is what's going to work for you and then these communities saying that doesn't really work for us so I, I love that you're bringing this up because it is huge it's, it's actually a very very big issue and challenge for nonprofits. Well, and you'll see it in your grant uh, proposals where they'll say you know how do you know that there's a need for this program. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's your moment where you have to tell the, the funder, you know, whether you or not you have verified that need. And I talk about it like this. So, you know, imagine that you are trying to solve the issue of poverty in your community, but you've never experienced poverty in your entire life that there might be nothing wrong with you thinking this, but you might think, oh, if everybody just had purple shoes, 
they could get themselves out of poverty. And so over here is my friend with a million dollars and we're going to buy as many purple shoes as we can and get people out of poverty. And you got people over here who are living in poverty going, I have absolutely no need for purple shoes. Like, Don't buy me those, you know? Um, so, I mean, relationships are, they're, they're the magic wand to everything in the nonprofit world, right? To relating with clients, to relating with funders, right? To get our, uh, our grant proposals passed, to just understanding the ins and outs of our organization. So, you know, um, relationships are at the key. And then how we tell stories are really related to how we honor those relationships, right? Um, about the work that we're, the stories that we tell about the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And how, I love that because the relationships part being key. And you know, because I think that's unconsciously a lot of nonprofits may be like, no, we totally connect with our clients or with our beneficiaries or with the people who we're serving or the community that we're serving. But to really analyze that, like, is there any way, like, just for self-awareness that people are, especially in the admin, can kind of say, are we connecting? Like, you know, do you do any recommendations to kind of do a self-check on that relationship? It's a good question. I think there has to be a certain amount of self awareness in general to even ask the question to begin with. But, you know, the more that we can um, make those opportunities available for clients to, to tell us really how they feel, the better off we're going to be. So sometimes that's going to be through surveys and the like, but sometimes it's just going to be through, hey, uh, you know, thanks for coming in. Here's a cup of coffee while we wait you know, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself right. um, and, and doing the work to step out from behind your desk and literally shake a hand or, or you know, ask somebody's name. Um, other ways that I've seen it work, I um, did emergency assistance for a while in one of the organizations that we worked in. And I was noticing that when people came in to have us help them with, you know, debt relief or evictions and the like, they would have these giant folders of like all of their uh, life's information in there. And they would sit down and they would start to tell me as the administrator, these sob stories about, you know, why they're so in need of these funds. Um, and we didn't want people to have to perform in order for us to provide help, you know? Um, and so we removed the barrier and just said, anybody, who has these qualifications, if you have an eviction notice, you know, we will give you X amount of dollars in a year uh, period or whatever. Um, so that meant that, you know, if I had an eviction notice, I could go in and get $500. And so people didn't need to tell us the story. So then when they were building those relationships with us and telling their stories, it wasn't because they had to, to get something from us. It was because, you know, we wanted to know about them. Then it made... I don't know. It made the it made the dynamic um, more level, yeah, and allowed those relationships to be built more genuinely. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, they didn't have to rehash their trauma. You know, right. like that's huge. Like having to keep rehashing your trauma every time you're just trying to ask for help. Like, you know, that's it's a that's terrible. So for them to then want to share that with you, that would be more of a therapeutic thing for them rather than having to bring up trauma for the, just to try to survive. Right. Right. So, for me as the person in position of power and privilege to decide if you're worthy enough for my help. Yeah. You know? if, if your trauma is bad enough, right. <laughs> or whatever, like that's crazy. Yeah. So, and that's funny because a lot of people wouldn't even think about that. They would just think, oh no, we've got to hear the story. We got to know, you know, check the list. And 
wow, though, think of what that does for people and think of the empowerment then of just being able to show this is what I have, right? And I know even, even documents sometimes can be really difficult, you know what I mean? Like here on Guam, we have a lot of um, other islanders that come here and they don't have like social security cards and they don't have like certain things or they get lost in the system and it's so hard to get, you know what I mean? So it's just like, you can't get it without the social security card, you know what I mean? Right. Like this catch 22 and it just re-victimizes them and keeps them in the cycle of things like poverty, right? So it's, it's also just that kind of, perspective that you guys had to say, wait, this isn't working. Let's change this. Like that's huge just to even help kind of break those cycles too. So it was, it was our goal. And hopefully, uh, people felt that it was, uh, a place where when they came to receive support that we honored them, (laughs) you know, we honored that trauma, you know, that they had experienced and they didn't need to rehash that for us. Right, right. And, and that's really good. And even like you're talking about how this goes then into the clients and telling the story, because what I see, especially as a, as a grant writer and looking at a lot of different grants and reviewing grants and all of that is a lot of times people will just tell this emotional, that, that emotional story about their clients, how bad it is, right? They might tell that in their corporate sponsorship letters. They might put those things on their websites to try to get individual donors. They might put together little commercials or fundraise or crowdfunding, you know, videos or whatnot. And so all of a sudden, all of this like really, you know, powerful, sad stories about their clients and showcasing that trauma, it's almost like clickbait, right? And so like, how do we get away from that then? Because I love how you're saying how to tell the mission, not the misery. So how do we change that perspective? And then how do we actually tangibly do that? So what I think is helpful is a couple of different check marks on, you know, whether we're passing when we're telling a story. So one of the things is, first off, get permission to tell that story. (laughs) You know, don't share somebody else's story that you don't have permission to share. Because if you are saying every time we tell a client story, we have to ask that client if we have permission to tell the story, it automatically flips the lens on what kind of language you're going to put around that story. If you think that the person you're writing about is going to read it Mm -hmm. because I mean, imagine you and I were in some kind of scenario where we need help. We're at one of our lowest moments and we have to be vulnerable enough to ask an organization to help us. We don't know how we're going to be treated. Right. Um, We go and we receive help and then next week we see in their newsletter how they're praising themselves for helping you know poor unfortunate people like us in that moment and i if that were to happen to me i wouldn't want to go back to that organization no matter how much they gave me right and so i think some of the times when we're writing these stories we're only thinking about the funder and how they're going to read it or the donor and how they're going to read it and that's important we do need to have a donor lens when we're thinking about um our stories but we also need to have that client lens right because for me, even as you know, a donor, if I'm reading something from another organization and you don't show dignity to your clients that you're asking me to give you, you know, money to support, I'm not supporting you. I'm supporting another organization that talks about their clients in a more positive way. Mm-hmm. So first off, absolutely get permission. <laughs> um, I also think that sometimes you might want to uh, 
you might want to change the names for a number of reasons, but sometimes you might want to mix a bunch of stories together and then you can say like, you know, our clients experience things like this. If you want to protect the, you know, identity of individual clients, even after they've given you that permission. I also think it's important to think about writing the story as if you're going to hand it to that client to read. Yeah. Um, and then asking their opinion on, you know, what you've written and if it makes them feel good about themselves or not, you know, like, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't need to say, does this make you feel good about yourself? But you do need to write it in a way that if you handed it over to read to them, you would not be embarrassed. Right. And like, does this sound accurate? Like, is this actually the help you received? And do you feel like, you know, because you, like you said, it could be a lot of showboating and then be like, what? Like that was right. I said I got that one service, but they're really like patting themselves on the back. And, you know, I didn't feel that empowered. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You know, um, another thing that I think that's a challenge when we're writing these stories about our impacts, because look, I mean, funders want to hear impact stories, right? It's what we're hearing all the time these days is they want to prove that you're doing the work, right? And so it puts us in these positions of pinch points where we need to be able to prove that we're doing the work, but also need to show dignity to our clients. Um, So I would say try to find ways that you can highlight the urgency of your work while talking about client wins or talking, or, or if it is a particularly hard story, have your client write it. You know, if you, if they have permission, if you have permission to use it and they're in support of uh, you using their story and it's in their words, it's going to be way more impactful than if you could tell, you know, somebody else's story. Right. Right. I think it's also important just to think about language. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we work with an organization that helps sexual assault uh, survivors and they use the term survivor intentionally. Yeah. And so you wouldn't want to use terms like victim in that scenario. So when we think about language, I think that can also provide dignity to the clients that we're serving as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember because I worked um, in an organization that served a lot of women, um, you know, a lot of survivors. And I remember when that was a big thing, the shift from victim to survivor and that word. And it was so empowering for me as a grant writer to use that instead of using victim. Right. So it was just like, wow, this is really good. (laughs) I was so happy about that because it went a huge paradigm shift. Really, it is. It's one word like but it means so much. There's such a different narrative then, you know, using those and an empowering word for, to, a, you know, a disempowering word to an empowering word. So yeah, yeah. very good. Another I- example of that is thinking about, you know, poverty again. And if you were talking about an individual who's living in poverty, that's how I'm always writing it. An individual who's living in poverty, right. Or who's experiencing poverty um, instead of using poor people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm really hoping people aren't using these terms anymore, but some people do, right? And one of the problems that I experienced was I was running this program for individuals who were uh, attempting to move themselves into more sustainability and out of the cycle of poverty. And I was getting a list of names from other service providers who had helped families in the area. And so I was calling these individuals and I was using our own list for people that had received services from us. And I would call and I would say, hey, you know, I'm offering this program and it's for people who are living in poverty. And I got turned down time and time and time again because people would say, well, I'm not poor, you know, I'm not, that's not me. Um, And so thinking about how we 
you know, talk about people, nobody ever wants to think of themselves as poor or less than, right? Yeah. So using that language that that enables and and supports people rather than tears them down just with the words that we use. Right. I love that because yeah, there's there's actually like a federal standard of what poverty is. And people who may be experiencing poverty don't know what that, you know what I mean? They don't know what that number is per year. Like, so to think of themselves, well, I'm happy. I still have a family, like, you know, especially if you're surrounded by other people who may not have as much, you know, you're like, I'm not poor. So yeah, I love that. Just even how we communicate to be like, you know, Hey, people who may be wanting to get to this place instead of where you are, you know what I mean? So it's like an interesting conversation, but words are, powerful and and just to kind of I had um a, a note too when you were talking about changing the name of people right and even we're seeing more videos more videos used for storytelling um and what I've seen a lot especially on like school websites and other websites for like, nonprofit websites for those who have children um and even some that serve survivors um They'll say right away, as soon as you click on their website, a thing pops up to say, these are stock images, we protect our clients. You know what I mean? So there's also that a lot of times that you can just, you don't have to, you know, even you're like, I need to share pictures. I need to share video. Um, you don't always have to show that, but you can communicate why you're not sharing it, right? In those ways. So do you see that kind of as well? Absolutely. And I mean, this is just basic. If you are working with, children or vulnerable adults, you know, you have to have media release forms to be talking about that person anyways, right? Um, so don't make the mistake of saying, oh, this really cute thing happened to this kid. I'm going to click their picture and throw them up on our social media and talk about them, you know, their first and last name, <laughs> you know, like you need to protect uh, that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you need to protect that kid. And, and those, you know, processes were made in order to make sure that the parents and the children and the, you know, family members of those vulnerable adults have the autonomy to say yes or no, I don't want my information used. Yeah. Um, so it's absolutely important to be paying attention to that, especially when we're thinking about now, like, um, with client uh, and volunteers having access to our social media, and then, you know, just click at pictures and tag in a, an organization. So it's tricky for nonprofit leaders to be able to pr protect that anonymity, but we still need to try, right? We still yeah. need to try to put those policies in place. And, and yeah, I've seen other organizations that talk about like, yeah, you're not getting the, you know, Mary Gladstone Highland. This is, you know, we're going to protect our clients in, in this moment. So mm -hmm. that's a good practice to have. Yeah. I mean, even I see it with my 10 year old daughter, like I have to get permission <laughs> Yeah. photos on social media because she'll be like well is that going on Facebook or is that going to go on Instagram and I'm like well can it you know what I mean like it, and it's interesting even from that level they're really attuned to do I want to be sharing this moment with the world or not right and yeah. that's me and I need to give you permission because you're sharing me <laughs> leveraging right it's like oh wow okay so intuitive right but I think for yeah. us that are you know maybe like our gen x and in, in higher millennials you know that might not be the case because it was just like social media wild west right and I think now yep. there's a little bit more coming into saying okay this is confidential we are sharing this just with whoever so we do need to have some things in place right so. Yeah. And I mean, if we're thinking about pictures and storytelling, it's a whole additional layer. Yeah. Um, because yes, 
you clearly have to get that person's permission if you're going to post their picture online, especially with their story. But even in the pictures, the stock photos that we choose to go along with our narratives, you know, is that stock photo of um, somebody lying on the street or is that stock photo of a person, you know, looking uh, like they have some dignity, right? So just thinking about the images that we use to go along with our stories. Are we trying to um, create that Sarah McLaughlin, you know, picture of just abused humans? Um, hopefully not, right? Hopefully we're sharing those exciting stories about, uh, you know, what our clients have been able to accomplish. Because, you know, look, if somebody sees a really sad story, uh, you might get a lot of donations from that. Mm -hmm. one-time donations, yeah. but that's yeah. not going to help people to give and give and give to your organization and to feel connected to what you do. You've just, you know, told them a sad enough story that they threw you some money, right? Right. right. And there's anxiety around that too, as far as being a, a, a donor, right? On the other side of that, like even there's so many reports now that, you know, the climate crisis and how people respond to that. Sometimes they just kind of tune it out because it's, the way it's delivered might be too overwhelming where they're like, we'll never solve this problem. I even try, you know what I mean? When it gets so thrown in their face, like this is terrible, which it is, but you know what I mean? There's a way right. to communicate it. Right. So that kind of thing as well within your stories. Yeah. And I think that that is, is totally true. I mean, I consider myself to be somebody who's pretty aware and who tries to, you know, help solve big problems. But there are moments where when we're thinking about climate change or, or big issues that are happening in the day that I I could feel paralysis and want to just turn off my computer and not pay any attention to it. And so if our organization is constantly sharing those kind of stories, people are going to unfollow you or people are going to request to be unsubscribed from your newsletter, right? Because we can only take in so much um, you know, negativity in any one given day, right? And so we we want to make sure. But think about how much people follow those um, those you know viral videos where like heartwarming things are happening, right? Yeah. And think about how those kind of videos make you feel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would lean more towards those kind of stories. Oh yeah, I mean there and there's so many like you can be so positive, right? So even in this, and it, it doesn't have to be just like oh positive, optimistic. You can still tell the story. Like in grants, I always say use statistics. You can show yep. how terrible something is with statistics. You don't have to tell some flowery sentence with oh my goodness, you know all this negative language. You can say no, the like if the poverty rate is seventy percent compared in your community compared to the national average of fourteen percent, like that's huge. That's telling a really big factual story right there. Right. So, you know, I, I do say like lean more towards on statistics, lean more on towards reports and, and you can get testimonials. You can definitely add, you know, that, that personality to it, but also how the solutions then, what is your grant program or your program? How are you going to solve those, those issues and those challenges, right? If you don't have that in there, no one's going to give you money because they're going to be like, yeah, it does. There's a lot of things that suck out in the world right now, but what are you doing? Right. To it? <laughs> I mean, and that's how a reviewer thinks. So, right. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that you point that out about statistics, because if you're talking about, you know, um, disparities in zip codes, what, 
what else do you need to add to that right. to it with your language to make it sound worse than it is if we're talking about like there was a great billboard campaign here in Michigan for a while going up um, I-75 and it had the birth or it had the mortality rate for two different zip codes on the left side of the highway and on the right side of the highway that's all it did the mortality rate and how it was so much different in in one zip code and so that was a very powerful way to tell a story through statistics that didn't need to add any other, you know, manipulative language on top of it. Yeah. Right? No pictures, no sad stories. No. Yeah. 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 Just, like, these are the facts. Right. And wow. I got goosebumps. just. <laughs> that. Yeah. It was a great campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those things are powerful. So yeah. What are some other ways that people can really I mean, you said get permission for one, you know, keep dignity in storytelling by getting permission, um, having the client the beneficiary actually read uh, what you're what you've written to kind of get another perspective on it, maybe have them if they would like to write their own story as well that you can share. Um, you know, use stock photos if you need to, but even then make sure you're utilizing pictures that that just don't show tragedy, right? So what are other some, what are other ways that people can really hold the dignity for their clients when they're telling their story? The other thing I was thinking about is that sometimes when I'm writing proposals, a funder, and this goes back to your research really before you get to the point where you're writing the proposal, mm -hmm. because you might notice that a funder uses language or that you know they prefer a certain kind of storytelling or image casting that you are not, that doesn't really fall in line with you know, how you serve clients. So I would say resist the urge to go after those kind of funds just because they're available, especially if they're incongruent with how you serve your clients, right? Because if you get those dollars, right? And you're, here's $100,000 for us to serve our clients, but I have you have to be poor in order to get these funds and I have to treat you like you're a poor person, you know, mm -hmm. then, does it really help you to solve a problem in your community? I don't know, because if people don't wanna work with you because of who your big funder is, um, then those dollars aren't necessarily worth it. So I would say that even in like the research stage of, um, of foundations, but also of donors, I mean, we could think about it on the individual level as well. You know, if that donor is gonna want us to talk about our clients in a certain way for them to feel good, mm -hmm. you know, I would urge us to not lean into negative stories just for that client's dollars, right? Right. right. Um, and to try to convince that donor instead that stories of, you know, triumph are really motivating and moving as well. Mm -hmm. um, instead of changing kind of your ethics around storytelling to fit this kind of lower level and expectation for a, yeah. a client's life. Um, yeah, so I think I, I was just thinking about that before we were coming on and thinking, you know, too often we see here's a pot of money and we want to take advantage of it, but sometimes it's not the right fit and it's not worth it for your organization. I love that. And I, I love, you know, analyzing the language that they use because I've also seen uh, organizations say, you know, they have like this one organization I know, they're awesome and they serve a lot of younger girls and, you know, they have all these programs of empowerment and they will not take any donations from companies that, you know, their primary thing is alcohol. Like, you know what I mean? That they, so manufacturers or, you know, shipping or anything like that. And they've had them offer like, here, well, and they've said, no, thank you, you know, because they don't want to be tied into that. And I've seen that a lot in different ways. And especially now more and more as people are really 
more looking at corporate social responsibility and in different corporate corporations, but also foundations to be like, well, who are they really serving and what's really going on here? And, and I love that you brought that up because I often say, when you write a grant, just don't think of it like, give me money, please, please. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, um, instead, kind of look at it like a job interview, <laughs> like an interview, like, do I want to partner with them? And do I right. want to do something with them, right, as you're writing the grant? And that's going to change your perspective, you know, a lot, right? So I think that's really important because grant funding relationships that's what they are, the relationships. When you get a contract, it is a relationship. So you have to remember that kind of going back to where you started today, right? With It's all about relationships that even those funders, those donors, those corporate, um, you know, corporations, any money they give to you is an act of having a forming a relationship. So it's also important to look at what they serve. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because so important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I liken it to my work in the deaf community because the, the individuals that I worked with preferred the term deaf, right? And oftentimes hearing people who've never experienced deaf uh, culture think that the PC term is hearing impaired, but that term is very offensive to many deaf individuals. And so if you are, you know, in a disability rights organization, you're working with deaf individuals, but you get funding from an organization that uses hearing impaired all over their languages, all, all over their language, then that could be, you know, a message to the community yeah. that you're working with people that aren't, you know, supporting kind of their own view of dignity for themselves. So it, it could, it could show up in a lot of different ways for organizations. Absolutely. I mean, even the word disabilities can be really, it's casted very just general before. And I think that's starting to change more and more too. So, you know, thinking of someone who's deaf as a disability, well, that might not even be the case. It's just they're, you know what I mean? They're deaf. Right. So it's, so I've heard, I've heard some other terms as far as, I can't remember what and one was, but they changed the word disabilities to like, it might be something you're familiar with. Too. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was really empowering then too. It was more about the ability side of the dis. Right. <laughs> I mean, so it was yeah. Like, really cool. And, so, yeah. And when I've worked with organizations and even with clients now, I'll say, you know, how do you, what words and language do you prefer as a client of an organization or as, you know, my client now, it, they are organizations. So I say, you know, what do your clients prefer yeah. and what language yeah. you prefer? Because like when I was talking, when I was working with the deaf community, they preferred deaf, right? Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. I was working with uh, refugee families, I didn't know if refugee families wanted to be called refugees, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I had that conversation, hey, do you relate with this term or not? It, does it make you feel good about yourself or not? And, you know, in that scenario, people are like, yeah, I am a refugee. Like, why wouldn't you call me a refugee, right? <laughs> so I think it just, it really depends on who your clientele is and, and building those relationships so that you know what kind of languages and stories that you can tell that will uh, honor that relationship and help you. Because ultimately our work is about solving problems in our community. And we do that through the relationship that we have with the client more than we do that with the relationship that we have with the funder. I mean, to be, yes. you know, the work happens with the client. So we can't forget about them. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. This has been so great. And you also show, thrown in something great. So all you guys listening to this on the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, please do check out the show notes because Mary is giving um, you guys all creating compelling impact stories that don't suck. So that's going to be a download <laughs> for free that you guys can grab. So did you want to talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, absolutely. You can pick it up at our website, sparkgroupconsulting.com forward slash client stories. And so hopefully it's just a way if you have a story that you're thinking, I think this might check all the boxes, then you can work through this workbook to make sure that you've done your due diligence to make sure that it's a, a compelling story that people want to read, but also that clients would give their stamp of approval to as well. Nice. And thank you so much for sharing that with our with our tribe here, because, you know, that's something they might be listening to And these are all really good points. And I'm taking notes, but how do I actually do that? Right. So this is really going to help um, you guys out there to do that. So thank you so much, Mary. We appreciate you for giving that resource away. Thanks, Holly. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciated it. Yes. So definitely, if you guys wanted to hear more about Mary, um, you can check out the show notes. You can also go to www.sparkgroupconsulting.com to find out more about Mary. Anything you want to add before we sign off today? Nope. Just that this has been a joy and that, you know, anytime that we're thinking about our clients and how we share their stories, those are good questions to be engaging in. And so, you know, go, go think more about building those relationships with clients. I love that. I love that. So thank you so much for coming on to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast. We'll definitely have to have you back on. And just kudos to all the work that you're doing to really help change the narrative and to change the language and to honor clients with dignity. So just thank you for that. I hope you enjoyed this episode today as much as I did. I mean, Mary is such an amazing person and I know you're agreeing with me now because you just listened to this podcast. So once again, for all of today's show notes, go ahead and go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 230. You'll also get that great link in there that has um, an opportunity, a downloadable for client stories. So you can make sure that you are honoring your clients in the best way when you're sharing their stories, whether that be through grant writing, through uh, videos for fundraising, etc. So do make sure you do that. It's such good tips that she gave today. And uh, would you do me a great favor? If you love listening to this podcast, please make sure you subscribe. You can also check us out over on YouTube for uh, grant writing and funding if you prefer to watch the videos. All right, guys, I will see you next week. Um, and I will be back actually to my to Guam next week. So it's going to be a lot of fun to get back, get in the swing of things, get my daughter back in school and all of that fun stuff. But so enjoying our time away and relaxing and doing all of the summer things. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode again, and I'll see you then. Bye-bye.